Hey, so we're glad you're here. And if you are visiting this morning, we're really, really glad that you're here. Um, and I'd like to give you a gift. And um, I know that we're out of Jesus koozies and the glow-in-the-dark statues of Jesus with posable arms and oil-dispensing hands. But what we do have are these bracelets that are uh, made by our, our folks in Togo, Africa. And if you've not been to the website to see what, what <laughs> I don't know where Joe is, but Joe and I, I don't know if you remember Hee Haw, where they'd stand up from behind a fence and talk and stuff. That's going to be Joe and I, but showering side by side in these mud <laughs> huts, They're these mud walls that are made of mud and manure that we're going to be giving ourselves sponge baths in the fields of Togo, Africa. Um, so just know that that, go to conduitmission.org, you can see the video footage. I'm almost wishing that, he, that David had not have sent that. I feel like that's the kind of thing that's best to be surprised with, right? Because <laughs> now I'm thinking, huh, <laughs> I'll bet there's mosquitoes too, right? Anyway, so um, it's all for the kingdom. All that to say, the young men and women uh, from that area that we've been investing in are actually hand-making these bracelets at, say, conduitmission.org, and for every... Uh, Every time you visit, if you every time you visit, if you have a visitor here, if you're a visitor here, wow, can I talk? Then we'll give you this bracelet. It's complimentary. If you go to the little table out there, I believe that the lovely Lynn Simpson will be greeting you, um, and she'll give you that bracelet. And we'll make a ten dollar donation to the organization that is actually sending these young men and women not uh, not just feeding them, but as they're growing up, they're sending them to college, to trade school. And for ten bucks, we can send them to school for a week. We room, board, and school, because we don't want to create a, a climate of dependency, right? To create a, at the state level, which is really what has happened in Haiti, is that you've got a government who is a dependent government. We don't want to do that on the local level. So allowing them to learn and to, to learn a trade and to give them something. And, and honest to goodness, all you can do is visit the condo at one Sunday and you send a kid to school for a week. So how about that? So if you see Lynn afterwards, um, and we'd love to just get a record of your visit and we'll give you this little bracelet and it is fashionable, functional. And uh, if you're my age and think I really shouldn't be wearing this, you probably have kids you could give it to. So think about that this morning. Okay. Um, if you would open your Bibles to the book of Acts, I'm going to give you a head start. I also want to give you some interesting numbers this morning. We got a report this week from Pam, um, who is our, our bookkeeper lady of, I asked her to six months into this new year, would like to just see how much money we've given away through Conduit Mission. You might think, well, what a crazy and particularly dumb name for a church, Conduit. Um, many people agreed with you <laughs> four years ago when we started as a Bible study, but it was a real simple premise, and that is that a pipe is invisible. You really, you know, there's conduit all around us. You can't even see it, but it does this profound thing where it allows resources to be transferred from places that have it to places that need it. In the case of here, electricity from a place, a source of electricity to a place that needs electricity, i.e. the lights so that you can see. Uh, and in our case, what we've done is we've allowed ourselves to become a conduit of, of that. And so by being here on a Sunday morning, we've got this, you know, this church environment that in many ways acts as a, as a platform, like an oil rig in the Gulf. You can't just swim out there and start drilling for oil. You've got to build a platform to work from. And so in many ways, that's what this church is. And so when I share these numbers, I, these aren't complete in that I don't have the church numbers side by side with them. And I, I will get those and print, uh, put them on the website and, and put them uh, on our Facebook page and those. But I just wanted to give you an overview of how much money we've given away so far uh, from our little nickel and dime operation. Uh, money that is transferred from you personally in our own body, from those around the country. Um, and, and it goes a little something like this. For education, which is uh, we're sending a young man to medical school from Haiti. We're sending him in the Dominican Republic. His name is Gabby. Uh, that includes some other things that we've done with Haiti education. That number is $1,563 so far. Um, feeding children in Haiti, $500. Um, child sponsorship uh, money, which is actually now being flowing through, actually through Restore Haiti, but up until at some point it was still flowing through us. And that was $2,576. Um, I'm going to total this one together. David Whetstone, Africa so far, and this includes money. We're, we're sponsoring him at $500 a month 
because, you know, he's, he's kind of like an employee, right? His staff were supporting him. He raises support from others. He basically lives on like $1,500 a month, really. Um, but we, we're 500 of that. But in totality with that, uh, there's been 3000 towards that, and then $11,247.96 that's been sent so far for the building program that's going on over there. And, and more to come, but so in totality for David so far in Togo, we're at $14,247.96. Uh, building in Haiti, we've made a uh, uh, an we made this idea that we wanted to not necessarily centralize the power of one ministry. And so as it was growing, one of the thoughts we had was, man, we have this great feeding center, we have this great church, we have this great organization, and these kids are going home and sleeping on the floor of a tent. And that ought not to be. Um, they're houses that have collapsed and they're just living outside or around them. And so we've been building homes and you can see some of the pictures of those homes as you come in. There's more to come. But so far, that number is $42,846 that we've invested in building homes uh, for families that are part of this church in Jockmill, Haiti. Um, and this is, by the way, money that we have distributed so far. This doesn't include money that's being collected or disseminated for, like for the Fadley family. We've, we've donated money to them so far for their, but it, since they haven't left yet, it hasn't been distributed. But we did uh, allow them, we, we gave them $1,000 to go uh, to a fundraising uh, conference that they did, which was, actually, I learned a lot from that. I wish I'd have gone with that. Um, to Flat Out Ministries, which is Greg Swinford and the ministry that he's been doing. We've, we've donated $2,000. Um, in total donations, um, benevolence, things like helping families who've lost a loved one and those kinds of things, uh, we've given away $5,688.27. Uh, when the Japan earthquake happened and we, we rallied the troops to work with Samaritan's Purse, we donated $8,297.44. We donated, uh, when the tornado uh, happened in Alabama and in Missouri. This, by the way, does not include the tens of thousands of dollars that we would have seen in in-kind donations, supplies, waters, all that kind of stuff. The, 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 the cost of a semi that was donated to us. This is just hard cash that flowed through us. And that is $7,694.70. Um, and then a ministry that we have recently been blessed to partner with here in America that is allowing us to be their conduit to a ministry in Uganda. I, I got to meet the guy that they partnered with, and this guy is an African stud, like straight up government certified USDA stud. He's t told me about planting churches. This guy's been at it a long time, but... Uh, he is literally, and he's allowed us, we could, we could plant more churches there. It's $1,000 to plant a church. But he teaches the pastors, we're not trying to create a culture of dependency. So we say to these pastors, when you come into this village, how can you get a plan that in a year you are self-sufficient, that you are not expecting a check from us anymore? It just was, I just loved this guy. It was a genius. And so, and that's it. That ministry that's partnered with us to allow us to be a conduit to this ministry in Uganda has just uh, sent $100,000 to them. That was this week. So in totality, June of 2011, and I didn't get it all in here, and again, I'll print it out, and you can see all the nickels and the dimes, but we've given away a total, or it's flowed through us, it has allowed us to be a conduit of, of people's donations, $211,078.40, just in 2011, and it's June. So that's to you. And you might be doing the math, especially if you've been around ministry a while, and say, how on earth? Do they do that? And, and the answer is, is we just turned on a faucet. And Jesus said that we were to be that conduit of his spirit. As long as we continue to be that faucet and allow the resources to flow through us, understanding, by the way, that money is not the solution. It's just a tool. It's the Holy Spirit that is to flow through us, his kindness and his love. We're actually going to talk about that this morning. But when his love flows through us like that, as long as we keep it on, it, it, it comes from all over the place. It comes from within our own body, but it comes from around the country as well. And so you might hear this and think, that's great, I don't need to give this morning. And I want you to know that we keep the church separate in that we don't allow, like if someone says, I'm gonna give money to this account, I'm not back there going, hmm, we're a little short on rent this month, we, we, we're gonna borrow from that. We don't do that. This is sacred money, and we sometimes have to make hard decisions. We did that last month.
to, to make some decisions to make sure that we're not outspending God's provision for us. But as a local church, man, we do have some needs. I mean, you've, you've, been, you've seen the kids. We do everything we can on as tight of a budget as possible so we can honor the Lord. But we do have needs that are local too. So I would encourage you not to walk away thinking, oh, 200 grand, I can go home and, 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 and keep it today. To know that locally on the church level, that this, this oil rig, if you will, this outpost for the kingdom that we have built does have needs. We live as far, as cheap as humanly possible. Every Sunday morning, we're out here pushing, and this morning, coincidentally, in the pouring rain. Um, some might even call it a soaking rain <laughs> when I was hooking up the trailer this morning. Um, but we do that because we only have to come up with like $1,400 a month to, to, to be in this building. So I'm not out there trying to chase $8,000 a month to raise $8,000 a month just so we can get together on a Sunday. It allows us the freedom to go get that $8,000 a month and give it to Japan when they were in desperate need or to give it to our victims of tornadoes in Alabama or Missouri. It allows us that freedom. So there's, there is, we do as best we can, but just know that as cheap as we get it, you know what, we live in America and we still have to, you know, to survive and we all live as cheaply as we can. And we'll, we'll get you a full report in the next few weeks as far as the full money that's come in and come out through church and mission so you get a good look at it. We got no secrets. We live uh, as openly as possible with you. So I just wanted to congratulate you on, uh, man, on a great six months. Um, in totality, by the way, when you combine last year where we gave away in the, in the full year, which was April through, um, I guess it was been January through January, uh, $253,000 that we gave away in 2010. So you combine the 211 and then the years before that, you know, this little ministry that the Lord has, has launched has given away well over $600,000 um, to causes that are on the front lines, that are presenting the gospel, that are changing people's lives from the inside out. We're not just raining money down. We're actually investing in kingdom. Mark Bourgeois taught me this. He said that when he is looking at ministries that he might partner with, he doesn't invest in a ministry. He invests in a person. And that's what we're looking for, people that we can invest in and get behind because it's people that the Lord uses to change other people. So awesome. Acts chapter 18. Would you go there with me? It's on page 980. Verse 12, last week, by the way, or two weeks ago, I heard Gary Carter did a great job last week. Shannon and I were sitting by a lake in uh, Kansas because that's what you do. You don't get in it. You just sit beside it. You take lawn chairs, and we just sat there like cats. <laughs> and then later on, we went into town, and we sat there for a while. And then, then we went and laid down. We're just like literally like a cat vacation is what it's like to go to Nebraska. <laughs> just do some sitting and some laying and <laughs> then some more sitting. But we, when we last left off in Acts, Paul had just been promised by the Lord that this time it was going to be different, that he wasn't going to get hurt in this city, that in Corinth he's going to be taken care of as far as from that perspective. He was taken care of in every city, but in Corinth he was saying, look, no one's going to hurt you, okay? This, in this city, this is how it's going to go. And so after that promise, in verse 12, Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, and the Jews made a united attack on Paul, very familiar to Paul. He's like, this is the part where I get my butt kicked. And brought him into court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people of, to worship God in ways contrary to the law. And just as Paul was about to speak, because that's what he's used to, I normally have to speak at this point, Gallio said to the Jews, this is, they're basically going to the government saying, hey, look, this guy is making trouble. You need to do something about him. And Galileo, which I love, does something that I wish our government would do, and that is to leave the church alone, to leave us Christians alone and let us be what we're called to be. They could take a lesson from Galileo. This is one of the first ever separation of church and states. And he says to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, then settle the matter yourselves. I will not be the judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court, like Judge Wapner style. Get out of my court. And then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, who later, by the way, would come to know the Lord, and beat him in front of the court. But Gallio showed no concern whatever. In verse 18, now Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. And then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Someone on my Facebook page last week put that. I always thought they were two women because their names. I agree. It sounds like two girls, but it's not. It's a man and a woman, Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut at Chesnaria because of a vow he had taken. In verse 19, and there he arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. And he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when he asked them to spend, when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. 
But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it's God's will. And then he set sail from Ephesus. And when he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and they went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, not the girl from the black-eyed piece, <laughs> and strengthening all the disciples. I was in Nebraska last week, not just so we could sit by the lake, but because I was a part of a celebration. Shannon and I got to be blessed to see a celebration of a lady who had started a church 30 years ago. And yes, I said a lady. Put that in your theological pipe and smoke it for a little bit. She rolled into this little nickel and dime town of Nebraska, Superior, Nebraska, this sparsely populated town in a sparsely populated region in a sparsely populated state where the job description was, hey, we got a car mechanic and his wife and a single mom and we want to start a church. And several men had gone there to look at this opportunity and say, no thanks. Reagan had just been, you know, elected, and, but the economy was in the toilet. The interest rates were off the charts. And this little town was at best in the, like the stranglehold of a bad economy. I was there. I know this because my dad spent most of my childhood laid off from somewhere or another. We lived on some of the finest government cheese there was. We used to have contests with uh, the kids in the neighborhood could afford a microwave because we could not. And we would try to see who could melt their government cheese the fastest. And the, none of us could. It wouldn't melt. It was fascinating. Um, it, I swear to you, I don't know if it was Tang made into cheese or some government secret that they had created to protect from nuclear war, but it would not melt. But that's the town that Patsy came into. And I was 10 years old, and I came to Jesus in that little church. And from there, I was, uh, you know, it's so funny because now we have plans and systems and you can go to college to learn how to do all this. She didn't know how to do that. So she drew on a map this little 60-mile radius around the little town because our little town of 2,000 was surrounded by littler towns of like 1,000 or less. And so the 60-mile radius around the community, and she communicated a vision that we wanted to reach within a 60-mile radius of that community. And that meant us, her, Monday Tuesday and Thursday nights, she would drive to what she called the outreaches. And they were technically small groups. Again, she didn't know that that's what they were called, but that's what they were doing. And they would get together on Monday in Franklin, Tennessee, or no, Franklin, Nebraska. Wow. I just realized I was at a Franklin, Nebraska. Tuesday was Bruning, Nebraska, and Thursday was Dessler, Nebraska. And then all these people would drive to Superior, Nebraska, which were 60 miles or less, on Sundays for church. And from that little deal grew this church and I was in fifth and sixth grade when I first came there and nobody really could do anything with the kids and so she uh, had myself and Troy Covey uh, who is in Kansas City now we would travel travel with Patsy and we would teach the kids I'm thinking some of them are probably still in therapy after what had happened but we <laughs> Because we didn't know. I mean, you know, we were just doing what we knew to do, and, and we would teach them. And, we, you know, it was three nights a week. Wednesday night we were in church, and then Sundays we were in church. And it's just that was our life for years. That was Patsy. And we came back to celebrate because 30 years later, this lady is still there. Most of the churches in town have had five or six pastors since then. She's still there. She is a single mom. She was married to a Methodist guy or some denomination who left her for the piano player in the church, the classic 70s church, you know, divorce. And, and she left her with her uh, two kids. And, but she's still there. And what I was noticing, because how do you really possibly encapsulate 30 years in a two-hour dinner, right? And the answer is, is you don't. You just try to catch some of the high points, and what those high points were, were this is a lady who, in the early days of the church, this was a charismatic church, and it was really different from anything this community had ever experienced. It was a female pastor, so everybody just assumed it was a cult. There were stories, I remember sitting in a, in a little storefront in Mankato, Kansas, and she was preaching and uh, getting ready to introduce a speaker, and a brick comes flying through the window, just shatters the window in the middle of the service. 
you know, people just didn't understand, right? Well, the, the service went on, and there were bullet holes shot in the front of the church. She was cursed. She was spoken. In fact, this is how bad it was. The ministerial association in this town decided that they were going to break up because they didn't want to have to have her in the group. And if she joined, so they're just going to break up. Now, she, man, she's a loving lady, and she, she actually called one of them and said, look, I'm not going to join. If, it's, if, it, if that's what it would mean, I'll, I'm not going to join. You guys can keep the organization. We're going to do what we do, and we know we love you, but you know, I'm not going to do that. And that was how she spent the 80s, right? And I say that to say I'm reading in Acts chapter 18 and thinking, this is kind of what we did on, on last Friday night. Uh, was This is literally, if you go 18 and 19, almost a four-year period of time in Paul's life. He spent, it says he went on, he spent some time in Corinth before he moved on. Earlier in, in, in the chapter, I think in verse 18 or 11, somewhere it says, that he, it was verse 11, it says that he spent a year and a half in Corinth. So we're looking at this highlights of his life here. It's like a highlights reel. But in reality, this was just, this is a three and a half year period. That's a lot of life to live. I haven't known some of you. I mean, we're, you know, Eric and Tizra are getting ready to move to India. By the time you move, we will have known each other probably about as long as when when Paul moved on from Corinth, to put that in perspective, we've lived a lot of life in the last year and a half. And so what I see in this is this life lived, and when you begin to pull out the highlights, the tendencies, of course, is to look and see, man, this guy did a lot of stuff. But realize that when you're talking about three and a half years, there were some days when he just woke up and just preached the word. Some days he just woke up, went to work just like you, just like me. But somehow, in the middle of all of that, Paul would look back in 2 Timothy. You don't have to go there. I'll read it to you. And, and like Patsy, now keeping in mind, Patsy is not shutting it down. She's just 30 years in. They're just celebrating this moment. At some point, she's going to shut it down, but where's she going to go? You know, she's got more things to do for the kingdom. But Paul, at the end of his 30-odd years of ministry, which, by the way, the book of Acts encapsulates in these 28 chapters, in these few pages and paragraphs, encapsulates 40 years of church history. You hear people say, well, why don't we have the miracles like we had on the book of Acts? You hear that a lot. And the truth is, is if we were to take the entire last 40 years of church history of the globe and put them into one little, tw- the, the, the length of Acts, I'll bet you'd find that there's a lot of stuff going on in the exact same way. Just because we didn't see it here on a Sunday morning in condo, it does not mean that somewhere in, in India or Pakistan that somebody didn't just get out of a wheelchair and walk home. Those are happening all around us. But Paul, at the end of his life, would say, this was awesome. Because let, t- let me be candid with you. If, if, if the story of your life is, I was beaten, I was snake bit, I was shipwrecked, I was imprisoned. I was accused, I was cursed, I was kicked out of town, I was left for dead. I, this, is his, this is his laundry list of his life. And let's be honest, that kind of sucks. I mean, I know it's crass and it's Sunday and it's me. But that's, that's not necessarily the, the, the list that you're looking for in a good life. That's not what Donald Trump lists on his resume. But somehow, Paul... Unlike every episode of Behind the Music on VH1, where they look back in regret with their life, Paul would look back on his life and say, that was awesome. For I am already, verse 6, being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul talks about a drink offering. What, pray tell, is a drink offering? It sounds kind of negative, but it's not. The first instance of a drink offering in Scripture is in Genesis 35, when Jacob, who had spent his entire life running from his brother, knowing that the minute his brother found him, he would kill him. Decades on the run. Decades wondering, is today the day that Esau is going to roll into town and chop my head off? And after decades of that, he encounters Esau. You remember the story in Genesis 35. He's terrified, and he should be. What he did to him, in fact, his name, the word name, (laughs) Jacob, actually means heel snatcher. He was a little scummy liar. And what he had done to Esau was terrible. So Esau comes and he meets him, and Esau doesn't kill him. And so Jacob is giddy, thrilled. Like, 
happy as can be. And so what he does is after this moment, after the celebration, he goes back to the place Bethel where God first appeared to him. And it says that he took a skin of wine and he poured it out onto the altar that he had built there, the place of Bethel, a drink offering. It was an offering. If you go to Leviticus, you won't see them because this was an offering that was started before the law, carried on through the law, but it was a moment of celebration, wine. It wasn't blood. When it was done by the Israelites in Numbers, it was wine and not blood because it wasn't representative of anything other than joy. The only way I know how to word it is it's like making a toast. Cheers to a good life. And instead of partaking of it, he, you would dump it out onto the altar and that is what Paul is saying. I was snake bit, I was beaten, I was accused and left for dead, and cheers to a great life. He was satisfied. He was content. Patsy, of everything that lady went through, you'd think she'd just won the lottery. She's thrilled. She got a little TV like as a gift, like it's like she's retiring from the union or something and they gave her a TV. She gets up there and almost cries about how excited because she'd been praying for a TV and she didn't have one. And, and she's, I didn't even put it on the list because I thought I was always asking, already asking God for so much, so I didn't even ask him for the TV. And this, they'd given her a TV and a little DVD player that I swear to you she will not know how to use. But she was giddy about it. She's thrilled. But she's not thrilled because she got a TV. She's thrilled because she looked around the room and she saw something that Paul saw. She saw a secret that I saw and that is that there were similarities in Paul and in Patsy, and not just that their names start with P. The similarities aren't just that they both lived through horrendous things in their lives and survived and want to celebrate. The similarity is that both of them understood a secret that I hope that I can impart to you this morning in the way that I believe that God has downloaded into me. And it is the secret to a satisfied life is what well, Revelation 4 tells us in verse 11 when they're around the throne singing, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It says that for thy, you can write it down and go there later, that for thy pleasure they were created. That you and me, that means you and I, we were created for God's pleasure. Now, what does that look like? If you get your Bible's with you, go to John 15 because Jesus doesn't leave any secrets. What does it mean? Because look, I can say that I want to give pleasure to God but there are things that I could do that really just he could give a flip about. And I could spend my whole life doing that and he's not going to be mad about it. He's like, look, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but there's this whole other thing that I've called you to do. And Jesus tells us in John 15 what that is directly, succinctly, and clearly. No questions asked. Here's what it means to make God happy. Now, keeping in mind, I don't know, he's God. I don't know how much happier you can be. I mean, I'd wake up every morning and go, dude, I'm God. That's awesome. This is cool. You can sneeze stars. But, I mean, I, he doesn't do that, but that's what I would do. But he says this, that this is how you bring glory. This is how you make God thrilled and happy. In verse 8 of chapter 15, this is to my Father's glory, what makes him happy, that you bear much fruit. Paul and Patsy had this in common. They spent their lives under the gun, but they spent it bearing fruit. And that is really important because I can spend my life doing things. Well, for instance, my first job, real job, once I got to take off the green apron and the bow tie and the little name tag and stop asking, can I get you some uh, hot sauce with that? And I got a job at a music business company, a guy named Chuck Tilly, who I give credit to this day for giving me my start, you know. Shannon and I had just moved to Atlanta. I'm booking these bands. And, but I'd, I'd been to the storage to pick up some stuff, and the man, the storage was a mess. And it was hundreds of tapes, it was that long ago, <laughs> and cassettes and, and, uh, and CDs. And I thought, man, I'm going to make him happy. I'm going to come in here on a Saturday, and I'm going to clean this and organize it, and then I'm going to, you know, get brownie points with the boss. So I did. It was hot. It was nasty. It was Atlanta. And I spent the whole day. So imagine my surprise when I showed up on Monday and announced to him that I had done this, that he was underwhelmed. Why would you do that? I'm thinking, but, you know, of course, I'm 24. I'm like mad and I'm hurt. I'm like, I, but I work so hard. Why would you do that? 
I didn't learn until later in life when my new boss, a guy named Charles Doris, who was the CEO, head of the Christian Music Division at William Morris Agency, I'd strapped myself in and was making calls, and I'd go down every day and get my coffee and come back, and he pulled me into the office one day, and he said, Darren, I just want to tell you that um, you have an assistant to get you coffee. Now, that sounded like the biggest, jerkiest thing anybody could have said, because, you know, I like my assistant. I'm not going to make him go get my coffee. I'm capable. And he said, Darren, I pay you too much to go get coffee. I would rather, if you're going to take that 10 minutes to go get coffee, that you'd spend that 10 minutes booking more shows. Let the assistant do what he was called to do, and you do what you're called to do. Huge lesson for me. I should have not spent the Saturday in a storage cleaning in Atlanta years ago. I should have come in on a Saturday and booked shows. That's what I was, quote, created to do. I was created to do that. That was the gig that I was hired to do. And Jesus has wired you and I to do specific things. And these other things aren't necessarily inherently sinful that we might get caught up in, but they're just a huge, colossal waste of time, and they do not bring glory to him. If we want to look back in 30 years, and I got a newsflash if you're in your 20s, that's coming. Gravity is going to betray you. Your metabolism is going to say, sorry, bud. And you're going to be someday... 40. Someday you're going to be 50. Someday, hard, oh, it's hard to say, I'm going to be 70, like Patsy. 74 is how old she is. Didn't see that coming. She started that thing when I was not far from her age. I'm 40 now. She would have been 44. And someday it snuck up on her. But you can look back on that time. If you bear fruit, fruit that will last, Jesus would say, and that's the difference. It's the secret to a satisfied life is you and I to bear fruit. In John 15, he would say this. He would say in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch. And I want to hold up, and I want you to notice something, and I really would like you to tune in here. Someone taught this long ago, and I never, I've never forgotten it. I went and, just like you ought, ought to do as well, like the Bereans did, to go and to study it out for yourself. But that word, and I don't like necessarily when people torture the Bible. The Bible is just like a, any man. You can torture him long enough and make it say whatever you want. So be careful when you get into these situations. But this guy says, cuts off, is the word iros in the Greek. And you go to the Bible, go to blueletterbible.org. You can do it as well. It's free. And you see that he's actually Correct. And that word iros doesn't mean like lopping off like a hatchet. It means lift up. In John 3, I believe, when Jesus lifted up his head, it was iros. When they lifted up their voice in another passage, it was iros. Every time the word iros is used in the New Testament, it is to lift up. And understand that if you go to Arrington Vineyards, down the road you see these grapevines, Understand that somebody has to come along from time to time and the, the vines can get heavy with the weight and the pressure of, of grapes pulling them down and it drags them down into the mud. And Jesus isn't saying I'm coming to lop you off, but I'm coming to lift you up out of the mud. He lifts up, iros, every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Again, new translation, that word is kathara, which is where we get our word catharsis from, which is the word clean. It was a cathartic experience. It was a cleaning experience. So it isn't Jesus coming along and lopping you off because you were a bad guy or bad girl. It's him saying, come along and say, look, I know it's heavy. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to cathar catharsis clean you off so that it will be even more fruitful. And that's why this makes so much sense in the next verse, in verse 3, when he says, You are already clean because of what the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This is so important because, gang, we're in a church where we're always going somewhere. We're always doing something. And your temptation might be 
to get going. I got to go. I got to, you know, I, I, or, or just to walk out and say, I can't, I don't fit in here. I'm not passionate enough. I don't have a quote heart for missions or so you don't stick around or, or the other side of that is you might be in here thinking, I got I just got to keep up. And I'm telling you today, have freedom from that. That is works. It's the law and you have freedom from it because fruit doesn't, you don't make fruit happen, right? I brought this cucumber this morning because my daughter, so funny, she was, we're raising money to go to Haiti. We're gonna go over Christmas. I wanted, I feel like the Lord has led me to take the family. Maddie has gone with me once, but look, they've, they've experienced the last five years through videos and pictures. It's time for them to get a front row seat to what the Lord has done. I have no idea how we're gonna pay for it, but we're gonna go. But my daughter, because we were on vacation and we come back and the, the garden that we had planted like back in March or April had gone crazy like cucumbers and tomatoes. And, and so Ashley says, well, what if I want to I do like a little farmer's market and sell cucumbers instead of a lemonade stand? I was like, look, in the church we go to with all you health nuts, you probably could sell some cucumbers. And, and sure enough, she did. They're like all gone before church even started. But I brought this because we, we planted this thing like April and nothing happened. We watered it every day to the point where I'm not even 100% sure we're gonna recover our investment just based upon our water bill. <laughs> it was organic, let's, sidebar, for the record. I appreciate organic, but let's be honest, what that means. We don't put chemicals on it, we put poo on it. <laughs> I'm just saying, somehow that's better, anyway. <laughs> so these are 100% poo-inspired cucumbers that were grown in this garden that were watered every day. And Jesus is showing us that's what you and I are. We're to be fruit bearing. And that means, because we can read Acts and see, man, Paul was awesome. We can look at Patsy and say, that was incredible. And not realize that before Paul ever even started, he spent three years in a wilderness being discipled and taught by the Holy Spirit, the word. To not know that every day that Paul wasn't out doing miracles, he was in the word. We know this because everywhere he went, the first thing he did, he went to the synagogue and he reasoned them with the word. Psalm 1 tells us that the, the, uh, the psalmist David would say that we would be like a tree planted. He that meditates on the word would be like a tree planted by the water. Oftentimes in scripture, when you see the word, the, uh, the word represented in metaphor, it's water. If we meditate on his word day after day after day, wake up in the morning, and look, I appreciate the one-year Bible. If you're doing it, please don't consider this an affront to you, but not to just race through it so you can mark it off your list, but just, man, today this verse really came alive to me. All that are godly in Christ Jesus must suffer persecution, the ones that we don't underline. Let them marinate in you and soak them in. And I'm gonna tell you that before long, you will be producing fruit and not even realize it. We were gone for months or a week. We watered for months and like out of nowhere, cucumbers, like boom. It's like literally crazy, like overnight, they're happening. And let me tell you, I'm not out there freaking out. I'm not out there stressing out. If anything, I'm genuinely surprised. Where'd that thing come from? That wasn't there this morning. But it was because of things that I had done before. And this is the point that fruit is a result of other things that are happening. You can fake it for a while, but before long, you're going to burn yourself out. There's a church down the road from us. That I love this church. I love this guy, David Platt. He wrote a book called Radical. But in his church right now, there's this movement of people that are like, man, we're burning out. It's not David's fault, but you, you Google it. You can find people posting all kinds of mean things because it's works, 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 works. And the truth is, is that they're probably right because somebody probably misunderstood what he said. And I want to caution us as conduit not to misunderstand that what we're doing is not anything other than a result of things that are happening in our hearts and it becomes a natural extension of who we are. And if you're not passionate about it, caution others around us to not judge you for that, to allow you time to marinate in the word and to allow this to become a natural extension of the years, sometimes decades that you have spent in the word and for the fruit to become a result of that. I did not go out into the backyard and ever once see the tomato plant stressing out. 
tomato. <laughs> it just hung in there. That branch remained attached to the vine, and eventually, because of things that had happened beyond its control, tomatoes happened. You and I have got to remember that God has called us, Jesus has called us to bear much fruit. But it isn't about us faking it. It isn't about us making it happen and forcing it out. It's simply about us hanging in there, in the word, looking for those opportunities. And man, they happen. I'm telling you, I, I'm sitting here having been saved for 30 years in this little nickel and dime church. And I don't, it just happened. We didn't, we didn't even really work that hard. I hate to say that. This is not that hard. But it's because at an early age, and I don't mean to brag on this, I hope that it doesn't come across that way, because honestly, it's more like I was a weird kid. Man, I would stay up late at night, I'd be under my covers with a flashlight reading like Chronicles and stuff. Like, it just, I was obsessed with the Bible. And it was a thing that God had done in me. I, I don't know that I understood a lot of what I read. But the word continues to be something in my life that's just a part of what, what I do. You know, I've heard it said, uh, I can't remember which pastor, but that a Bible that's falling apart oftentimes belongs to somebody whose life isn't. You ought to be in the Bible. You ought to be in the Word. You may not understand it. Just get to one verse and just marinate on it, percolate on it, and listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. This isn't an academic exercise. This is a spiritual experience. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to teach you. It's part of what the promise of the new covenant was. But gang, here's the thing. If you do it, Every day, you water it. And you may think, Darren, I've been doing it and nothing has happened. I'm telling you, there are many days I walked out in that backyard and thought, I specifically brought the cucumber because there were just tiny little seeds. Like the tomato plant, at least it started with a plant, right, that we put in the ground. Like you cheat, you start ahead. We sprinkled some little cucumber plants in there, and I'm telling you, we can't stop them. It's like some sort of scientific blog, blob that's taken over our yard of cucumbers. They're everywhere. But that didn't happen today without what we did three months ago. So I want to bring you hopefully some freedom this morning to A, to not be feeling a pressure that you got to get in when the Lord isn't, you know, moving you in that direction yet. Spend some time in the word. Allow him to, med you know, to, to move in you and for fruit to be produced. That's one. And two, to say to those of us that are feeling like that I've been doing that and it hasn't happened yet, be patient. The Lord will move. And three, to say that if you do this, I appreciate all the books at Barnes and Noble and Amazon.com that say to you, man, if I could just find the perfect career for me. You've heard it said, if I do what I love, I'll never work a day in my life. That is great, and it is true. And if you're 40 years old and you've got four kids and a mortgage, you can't just quit and go write poetry, okay? Just not reasonable. It's not realistic, and it's not what God was saying. Paul worked a day job. It's not a failure to work a day job. Your job and your career is not where you will find your satisfaction. If that's what you're hoping and dreaming of, man, let the Lord speak to you. You can, and it can be great, and it can be satisfying, but it won't be an eternal satisfaction. It won't be the kind of thing in 30 years where that happens is in producing fruit. Fruit that will last, is what Jesus would go on to say. I got saved 30 years ago. There are people in Haiti, people in Africa, who, are, who have been saved, who are now discipled. And just like Paul with Aquila and Priscilla, he shows up into town working his day job. Save the, uh, Aquila and Priscilla get saved by working next to Paul. And a year and a half later, they're leaving town with him. And then later, they would minister to Apollos, and Apollos would get saved. That is fruit that lasts. And I encourage you to go through, by the way, there are five instances of fruit in the New Testament giving, uh, souls, just go Google it, whatever. It's a great thing for you to go and study later. We don't have time for it today. But I want you to know of those five instances, five, five, instances, five instances of fruit in the New Testament, there is a sixth one where it sums it all up in this, Galatians 5.22, that the fruit of the Spirit is love. Giving, winning souls, praising Him, all those things that are listed as fruit in the New Testament, they're summed up in that one thing. The fruit of the Spirit is love. I appreciate that because the proof, of the, the proof of the cucumber plant is what? The cucumber. That's how I know. There are a couple things growing in our yard right now. We're not 100% sure what they are, but soon, because we lost the little tabs, but when soon, <laughs> we'll know what they are because it'll show up. There'll be proof of that. The proof of you isn't whether or not you can pray in tongues, being filled with the Spirit. 
If I spend a whole bunch of time talking about honking the horn with the, in a steam engine, I, the, the steam engine does in fact honk the horn. But what the steam does is it drives the engine. And this, the engine of us is, is our love. And that is the proof, the fruit of the Spirit in your life. When Jesus says, I've called that you go and bear much fruit, it ought to look like that. And it'll materialize it in things like winning souls and in giving and in showing mercy. In fact, Galatians 5.22, you're thinking, Darren, it doesn't say that. It says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, patience, joy, long-suffering. Yes, but it says the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love. I would suggest to you that the fruit, singular, is love, that long-suffering, kindness, patience, compassion, that is the experience of love. I could tell you that the, the fruit of an apple tree is an apple, and that it's an apple. But if I'm to, ex to describe the apple to you, it's red, it's juicy, it's crispy, it's round. I'm describing what it is to be an apple. And so the fruit of the Spirit, if you just hang in there with the Word, hang in there with the Lord in the, in the vine, remaining attached to Jesus, which we do by staying in the Word, then a natural outgrowth of that is love. And, and anything else you do in works, I appreciate it, you're going to burn yourself out. You just got to love and let the Holy Spirit lead you. Paul, it says in verse 18, when they said they begged him to stay, he said, no. Because the Spirit wasn't leading him that way. If we, all we do is chase the need, we're going to burn out. We have to let the Holy Spirit lead us. That happens by staying in the Word, remaining by the water, and love is the fruit that grows, and that love looks like patience and kindness and compassion giving, long-suffering. It's taken us five years in this community in Jockmel, Haiti, to see what we're seeing today. Dadgummit, it took a long time. But man, love is patient. There were some people there that, quite honestly, I could have cared less about, wish they'd have left the village, but love is kind. There were some people that were trying to take advantage of the program. But love rejoices in truth. So we had to figure out those things. I, I don't mean to sound like a Beatles song from the 70s, but love is the answer. It's the fruit. It's what we do. It's what if we are filled with the Spirit by, in the Word here, remaining by the Word, that that's just going to be a natural outgrowth of it. And I'm hoping to give you freedom. I, I, I've taken the scenic route, obviously. But I'm hoping to give you freedom so you're not feeling like this pressure that i got to do something so I can get God to love me or do something because it's what I'm supposed to do. Man, quit it. You're just a, a creepy, freaky tomato plant freaking out trying to get, just, just hang in there. All due respect to tomato plants and creepy, freaky people. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, you don't do that to yourself. You're just going to burn yourself out. Everything that Paul had gone through, he could have looked back on his life and said, this was awful. This guy screwed me. This was terrible. I, I, you know what I mean? That could have happened, and it would have happened if he would have been you know, forcing it on himself. But instead, again, just three and a half years in two chapters, and we see these highlights, every day this guy was in the Word. Every day he was planted by the water, and fruit just happened. He was able to follow the Spirit, and he wasn't exhausted, and he wasn't tired. He was pouring out his life as a drink offering. This life was awesome. I will drink to that. And my prayer is that in 30 years, whether we're here together, I don't know if Conduit will be a church in 30 years. I don't know if it'll be a church in three years. We're just going to wake up every morning and follow the Spirit. I think it will be. But we're not making plans like that. We're not trying to strategize and, you know, how we're going to dominate. And we're just following the Spirit. Every day. And some days we're going to do it better than others. Someday we're not going to do it great at all. And other days, man, the Lord is just going to come through and throw a cucumber that we didn't even see coming. <laughs> it's really not that hard. The problem is we make it so hard, you know. We get all freaked out and worried and we make it so hard. And Jesus said that my load is easy, my burden is light. I've said it before, but every time you feel like that the, you know, you, whatever you're doing is real heavy and it's burdensome, that's not the burden that Jesus gave you. Throw it off. It's light, it's easy, and fruit happens. So as we worship, one more time with the Lord. 
I hope this gives you some freedom. It gave me freedom. Because let me tell you what, everything, it's like, you know, it's like Wheel of Fortune, but disasters this year. Like you just spin the wheel. What disaster are we going to get today in America? And we're not, we, we will burn ourselves out if we respond to every single need that presents itself in front of us. We've got to let the Spirit lead us as a church corporately and you individually. Every time you see an email asking for a donation, you've got to know, is this the Spirit leading me to do this? Not out of burden, not out of works, but out of the Lord as a result. And the only way you're going to know that is every day you wake up, in three and a half years from now that you've woke up every day, even one verse. That's why I meant by not trying to disrespect the one in your Bible. Not a contest to see if you can get the whole thing knocked out in a year. Just that day. What is the word speaking to you that day? And just allow the fruit to happen. God, we ask for your wisdom as we apply these truths. Lord, we want to be fruitful. We want to, Romans 15, you told us, was giving was a fruit. Winning souls, Roman 1 tells us, is a, is a fruit. We want to be fruitful people. But we want the wisdom and the word to sink into us so that those are just natural responses to what you're already doing in us, not a work that we're trying to figure out and make happen to keep up and be spiritual. Grant us freedom, Spirit, today from those wicked works. And allow us the freedom to do good works that are inspired of you, to spend our lives bringing glory and pleasure to you by, by making fruit, by producing fruit that will last. 20 years from now, who knows where we'll be, but we know that there'll be people in Togo, Africa, whose lives were forever changed. Fruit of this ministry. In Jokmel, Haiti, in India, in Uganda, lives that are forever changed right here in our own backyard because of the fruit that lasts. Might that bring pleasure and glory to you? Might it bring satisfaction to us? In Jesus' name, amen.